Welcome to the Women's Utilities Network, One for All podcast, our corner of the world where we'll be talking all things energy, water, sharing personal stories and debating female issues. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Women's Utility Network's One for All podcast. I'm Victoria Lemon, mentoring advocate for one, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Karen Moran, Director of Disruptive HR, to talk all things leadership. Welcome, Hello. Karen. Thanks for Thank joining. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I've been lucky enough to know you for a while, and I've got a bit of an insight into your background. But for our listeners, could you please introduce yourself and give us a bit of a summary of your career? Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm now a director owner of a company called Disruptive HR. My background is in HR. So I've um, literally started my career there in sort of a long, long time ago. Uh, Let's put it that way, uh, in my kind of early 20s and kind of progressed through the kind of HR route in different roles. I've worked in telecoms, professional services. And then my most recent stint in-house was at the BBC where I headed up everything to do with talent. So that was the recruitment, development, performance management, careers, all of the kind of the nice side of HR, I like to call it. So that was my kind of most recent stint in-house. And then always, I mean, most people fall into HR, but I've always been very lucky to have great jobs and I've loved every minute of it. But I think I got to a point where I was feeling a bit frustrated with what I felt was I wasn't having the impact that I wanted. And, you know, being in HR, you're often that person that when you're down the pub and someone says, you know, what do you do? And you say, I work in HR and they go, oh, I hate HR. And they give you some story about a dreaded HR person in their organization. So, you know, I thought this has got to change. And so myself and my then boss, who was my boss at the BBC, we set up Disruptive HR, which is basically a consultancy, a small boutique global consultancy, which aims to, the clues in the title, aims to I don't know, just transform HR from those kind of of the old days, uh, make it much more relevant to today's world and hopefully make people feel better about their jobs. That's the kind of the the goal, if you like. So that's a bit about me. Yeah. I mean, you've covered a lot of different things there and, and had a really broad career in HR. But that was quite a big leap to go out on your own. How did that sort of come about? Yeah. That you wanted to to shift things up and to change things. But that was a big decision. It was a massive decision. It's something that I'd been thinking about in my mind of like, ideally, I would love to have a go at my own business. But to be honest, I was too scared to do it. You know, big mortgage, kids to worry about. It was just, it felt like it was a bit of a bit of a big leap. But I was very fortunate that my my boss, uh, then boss, and my now business partner, Lucy, um, she gave me that confidence to kind of go, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Let's work out how much we would need to live on, how, how far we could go. Could we do this for three months? And if it doesn't work, we can both go back and get day jobs. So we went within that mindset. And we were just very, very lucky that 
we kind of had a sort of, I don't know, something special. There's not many people that are doing what we're doing. So we kind of hit a real sweet spot. And my network, I guess, from all of my different experiences really, really helped in terms of their support. So it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was still difficult and it's much easier to have a kind of a normal payroll job. But I'm so grateful that I made that leap of faith and had a go at doing it. There's something in there really, isn't it, about that support and challenging yourself and having others around you to do that bit. And I think that's very much what one's about, having that network and that supportive bit. Yes. And and also, I think when you've got your own business, all of a sudden you have to do roles that you've never had to do before. So I was a very kind of straight HR person and I knew everything to do with HR, people and leadership, but I didn't know anything about marketing or finance. And so you kind of get thrown in at the deep end and have to think about, you know, in the old days when we first set up, I was having to do delivery of HR work and then, you know, zero invoices, sending them to people and my, you know, setting up our Facebook page and all of those sorts of things. So that's been the kind of the learning curve, a very steep learning curve in terms of, you know, having to think about all the broader things of having your own business, which has been tricky, but I've also actually loved that too. Being out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Why why is, is your approach different to sort of normal HR? What do you give? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, as we call disruptive HR, but I think the reason that our approach is different is that when I think about my role in HR in previous organizations, it was kind of the nothing had really changed. And of course, the world was changing around us. But when we often think about our own experiences at work, we often tend to lead, engage, develop people like we did back in the 80s. Uh, you know, we have those kind of annual processes, uh, sort of performance management or uh, nine box grids, if any of your listeners know what that means. And, you know, it was very much this is how we do things. And the leadership approach, again, was very much around that kind of command and control, uh, lots of process, lots of policy, lots of ticking boxes to achieve compliance. And I think what we were trying to do with disruptive HR is say that, you know, if we want our people to be more agile, more productive, more collaborative, to innovate, stay ahead of the competition, then we can't keep leading them in this old way. So that's why I think disruptive HR is different because we're trying to get rid of all of those outdated um, approaches. Brilliant. And I mean, I suppose I'm sort of sitting here and I'm thinking, yes, I know that. I know that. <laughs> I know this. Yes. These are things that I've experienced. And we've yeah. had so many of the listeners of sort of those annual reviews and those approaches. So is it possible to sort of go through an example of something that you would, yeah. would work with with a leader on on something that our listeners could to take in as their little toolbox, perhaps? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what I think is helpful to do is I'll talk about our framework. It's not like a theoretical model, but it's a framework. And I think that really helps will help your listeners kind of understand what I'm talking about and break it down and give you some examples. So we came up with um, an approach called EACH, and it's really a new way of leading people. And it stands for employees as adults, consumers, and human beings. So if I break that down a bit, adult. So most organizations, every organization that I've ever worked in can be 
very parental towards their people and HR can be very parental towards managers. So we have, we often see this kind of two dynamics. So we have the caring parent where we spoon feed everything to our people. Um, You know, it might be, you know, I remember it was actually a water company that I was working with and they had pop-ups on the screen saying, now drink some water. Or you have the kind of signs on the doors telling you what to do and be careful and don't walk with your phone. You know, that kind of, we're here to protect you, to look after you. And then we have the kind of critical parent and the critical parent is where we're trying to protect the organisation, perhaps from the rogue employee. So we deliver this protection, not by dealing with those small, tiny percentage of people who are going to behave badly, but we create rules and policies for every eventuality. So I was thinking about an example where there's one of our clients, they had this situation where they were using Messenger for kind of chats. And it was like their internal social social networking site. And they had a situation where an employee went to one of their gyms. So they had they were very lucky. They had a nice in-house gym. And something happened with a man approaching a woman in the gym and talking to her, asking her on a date. Uh, she felt very uncomfortable. And then he messaged her on the work chat. And uh, she went to complain to HR. And the HR team alerted the executive team, because I think this person was quite senior. And they went into what we often do, that kind of knee-jerk panic. Oh, gosh, we've got this can't happen. And they sent out an all-global email to every employee saying that they couldn't use the messenger for inappropriate or social chat. So, of course, you imagine you wake up on a Monday morning, look at this message from your boss and think, Oh God, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can't use emojis anymore? Does that mean that I can't ask them if they've watched the latest succession? You know, you it made people feel fearful about what they could do. So of course, that's exactly what we tend to do. We tend to kind of go, something's gone wrong somewhere. Let's make sure that that never happens again. And what we should be doing is dealing with that small percentage of rogue employees and encouraging everybody else to use their judgment to be an adult, to behave like a decent human being as we do. So adult is about starting more from a position of trust, using your judgment. Employees know what's best for them. Leaders know what's best for their team. It means moving away from those kind of long-winded policies and having much more high-level principles that people, so people understand the kind of, you know, the context but it means that they can make decisions based on the individual circumstances rather than going, well, the policy says this. So an example would be a company called HubSpot. So they developed this, a CRM. And what they do is they've done away with their kind of long-winded employee handbook. And they just say, we have three words to replace the handbook. Use good judgment. And most of us can, who are good people, you know, we do, we, you know, we can manage in our human lives to know what that means. Um, You know, when we're away from work, why can't we at work? So the idea is that you're, you're trusted to use good judgment. And that also brave move, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that's why I suppose we're called disruptive HR because it's quite a shift 
maybe from where we've been in the past. And, you know, there are kind of small tweaks you can make along the way, but we're seeing organizations, for example, who are doing things like getting rid of uh, bereavement leave policies and just saying to managers, you know, you know the person, you know what that means, you know, that that bereavement means for them. You make a judgment about how much leave they're going to get, what's appropriate, rather than a manager kind of going, oh, this feels really uncomfortable because I know this person really well. I know that, you know, we used to have these bereavement policies that actually labelled what member of the family they were and then how many days you could get off. And of course, in today's world, we can't judge how important that person is to them. So a manager being able to say, I know what's the right decision to make for that person. So yeah, it takes some time, but you know, we are starting to see this kind of move much more towards this kind of judgment, which is great. So that's the first part of the model, um, employees as um, adults. And then the second part is employees as consumers. And Often when we think of consumers, we think that we're meaning that we need to treat all of our employees as if they were customers. But we're not necessarily saying that. What we're saying is that in our human lives, we all expect our individual needs and preferences to be met. We expect to have choices. We expect it to feel more personal. And of course, if you look in your in your world in, in, in work, we tend to have this one size fits all approach to everything. So one annual engagement survey, one performance management, one approach to leadership. And of course, is as le- if we can get leaders to adapt and use kind of consumer marketing techniques, they can actually find out, get to know their team members really well and provide a more sort of tailored approach that really makes them feel valued. So, you know, we know like for a leader, they'll know their team, they'll know, you know, your leader will know, Vicky, you know, how do you like to be managed? Do you like it to be a bit more hands-off? Do you like it to be kind of full on? How do you like to be valued? Is, Is value for you time off with your kids or is it a bonus or you know you know what might be right for them how do you like to be communicated with are you much happier with a phone conversation versus a whatsapp so the leader can then adapt their style to make sure that they're treating everybody as individuals which of course from a diversity inclusion perspective works much better because we are all unique and different so an example maybe to bring that to life would be um linkedin so what they've done is they've introduced what they call stay conversation. So you'll all be familiar with the um, the exit, the the interview questions that you get when you're leaving the, uh, an organization when it's already too late. You know, if you've resigned, your brain has already moved to your new organization. And then we, we start asking you for information. So what they're saying is let's not wait until it's too late. Let's have stay conversations rather than exit interviews. And in those stay conversations, they're just saying things like, you know, I appreciate you. Um, I value who you are and what you're doing for the company. I'm here. If you've, if you've ever got any problems of anything you want to talk about, you know, we know there's something like 80% of people say that their manager could have done something to hold on to them before they resign. So this is the way of kind of really getting to know your people very well, as you would consumers. It's a bit like if you go to Tesco, you wouldn't get uh, a survey a year after your experience um, asking you how it was. You know, you'd expect it to be, you know, as you walked out the shop, someone's asking you, you know, rate your experience. And so it's the same sort of consumer concepts that we're talking here. So that's the kind of consumer part. 
And then it, the final element is employees as human beings. And of course, we call ourselves human resources, but you know, there's a bit of a joke, isn't there, that we are often not very um, human. And so, you know, this is about us remembering that we have all of these processes, but actually they're not really informed by how we think, how we are encouraged to feel more inclusive, how we're encouraged to learn new skills. And so we're again seeing this kind of move towards organizations saying, let's put human at heart. Let's think, let's put ourselves in the human in their shoes. You know, when I think about when I was in uh, at the BBC, we had performance management process and forms. And I would, you know, pat myself on the back if we got 80% completion of the forms. And you know, when I look back now, I cringe and think, but I wasn't actually thinking about how the people at the end of that performance management process were feeling. Did they have, did they think it was a great conversation? Just got the form filled in. Were they having a great conversation? Were they feeling more motivated? Were they feeling valued? And so again, we're seeing this kind of move away from these kind of processes to more kind of light touch. So instead of a performance management form, we're seeing managers having just regular check-ins with their people. We're seeing um, nudge learning rather than putting people on training courses for days and days, you know, little nudges, bite-sized, five-minute videos, little toolkits, you know, try something new. Um, And we're also seeing leaders, thankfully, uh, dropping their kind of more formal, detached style of leadership and just being basically being more human. And of course, we all witness that, uh, particularly during COVID, um, that our human, that, you know, our leaders are human beings too. So, if, for example, um, an organization called SAP, what they've done is they've said, you know, we're not going to give you this kind of complicated leadership framework and tell you all the behaviors that you need to kind of meet. We're just going to ask you to do three things. We're going to ask you to coach your team, show regular appreciation and lead with trust. Now you as the leader do that in your own personality, your own style. As long as we see those outcomes, we're happy and we'll give you all the learning and development support that you might need to do that. And I just love that because it's it's so simple. Every leader can remember it, but we're also not telling leaders how to be. You know, we're saying you be your unique self. As long as you get the same outcomes, we're really happy. So in summary, each employees, adults, consumers, and humans is about just kind of giving us a uh, a fresh framework to look at how we do HR, but also how leaders can lead their people differently. I love that. that like scribble down so many nuggets of information <laughs> from that from that discussion. I suppose one of the things I've really got out of that is is a lot of it around is a uh, being you as a as a good person and being very authentic, and then tailoring that to your people. So no matter what level you are in your career, whether you have direct line management or not, it's it's how you relate, isn't it? And how you work with those around you, it seems to be. Yeah. And I think it's going back to, yeah, I mean, I'm really, uh, I hate all of this kind of levels because for me, leadership is around exactly that. It's just be a decent human being, you know, use your judgment. If you're not sure you know, rely on other people who maybe have more experience than you. But the chances are, if you're a good, decent human being, if you care about the people that you're managing, you're probably doing a really, really good job. And even when you're not, 
your people in the team will let you off because they know that that's you. You know, if you're someone that's, for example, doesn't like standing up in front of a group, but you do you do things really well on a one-to-one basis, you know, that's okay. And I think, again, that's, for me, the inclusion part of it is that what we're saying is you don't need to be a superhero, just, just be a decent person. And so when I see organizations that go through, you know, they bring in agencies, they go through all this kind of, our behaviors, our values. Actually, if you just said to people, just be a decent human being, probably that sums it all up. You know, we make it too complicated, don't we? Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love the whole sort of that the stay conversations. You probably wouldn't frame it, I guess, as a please stay with us conversation. <laughs> but that that regular check-in that, you know, is everything yeah. okay? I really want to have that actual that meaningful conversation with you and understand where you're at. Yeah, I think we all have those moments, don't we, where we just maybe not sure if we're if we're valued, and you know, I, there's another stat about uh, they did this research with a group of managers, and they said to them, you know, how often do you show appreciation to your team? Tell them that you appreciate them, and they were like, oh, all the time, and they were kind of yeah, all the time, all the time. And then they asked the people who were being managed by them, how often does your manager show they appreciate you? And they were like, never. And I think there's a kind of a mismatch because and I, I do it myself. You know, when I've, when I've got a team, I'm in my head thinking, God, they're amazing. Oh God, I don't know what I'd do without them. Or, But actually, do I remember to say it? Do I remember to make, to, to point out particular parts of them or their strengths that I really, really value? And I think we just get out of the habit because we just assume that they know that they're great or, but we need to kind of practice saying it. And as hard as it is to have the difficult conversations, it's actually quite hard sometimes to say nice things too. And for people to hear it, sometimes people sort of don't know how to react necessarily when they when they no. get that phrase. It, I'm still working on that one. I love it when you hear people when they give you give them a compliment and they just go, "Oh, thank you." And I think I wish I could do that. I'll always justify it and go, "Oh no, not really. I'm not really very good at that." I think that's human nature, particularly with women. I'm not sort of stereotyping, but often I think women struggle. I was working with this um, fantastic woman who worked at Condé Nast. So they own Vogue and all of those. And she was the, the head of the software department, the digital software team. So she had about 300 people underneath her. And we were, she said she actually got the job because she came in as a temp and then was given the job because she was so brilliant. And when I spoke to her, we were talking about the job spec. And she said, if I'd have read this job spec or it had been sent to me, she said, I would never have applied. She said, because the language was all around, you know, you you need to be super smart. You need to be this, you need to be that. And she said, I don't see myself as any of those things. So I would never have applied. So I think there is something for us to learn about, you know, thinking about how we can kind of make people feel more able to put themselves forward or to be good at something um, rather than the way maybe we've done it in the past. Yeah. And that was actually something I was going to talk to you about, because you must talk to different leaders daily, different styles you must see and different yes, levels of confidence. So, so what advice would you give if you had to sort of sum it up in a, a very short, you know, take this as your key message of your advice if you, to progress as a good leader. And I mean, we've had we've yeah. discussed bits already, but what would be your sort of your very short take this yeah. home and take it okay I'm going to give you 
two things that I think stand out for me, um, as you said, in terms of the experiences that I've had. And I've worked with leaders for, for, for many, many years. And I think the first one, when I when I think about the great leaders, they have two things in common. One is they are very self-aware. They know themselves. They know themselves warts and all. They know that they're what they're really good at and they know what they're not so good at. And they don't try and compensate for the things that they're not good at. They're just very honest about it. And But they really over-focus on their strengths. And, and also, I think that kind of self-awareness of whether they actually want to be a people leader or not. Because in my experience, unfortunately, because of the way the hierarchy works, we end up with leaders who are technically brilliant, who want that career progression, who end up leading a team, but actually don't enjoy it, are not very good at it. Have I mean, maybe if they have a desire, they could be good at it, but if they've got no desire to be a good leader, then it's really probably never going to work. So I think that awareness of when a leader says, actually, I just don't think this is my bag. I don't enjoy it. I prefer this side of the business or whatever. And if the business can accommodate them in that way, I think that's really good. I think it's like BMW where they have kind of two career paths. So if you want to be a people leader, you go up. If you want to be a technical expert, you go up. But you still don't have to miss out on salary or status. But it's recognizing that we're all different. So when we've all been let loose with managers who shouldn't be managers. So self-awareness is my number one tip. And then I think the second is curiosity. You know, the leaders that I know who are very, very senior, very capable, but it doesn't stop. They're always going, oh, I, I want to learn about that. Or I, I don't think I'm very good at that. I want to understand that more. I'm. They're hungry. They're always looking what's coming next, you know, how can we think about AI differently? How can we think about agile working differently? You know, they're always looking for kind of the new, what's coming on the horizon and how they can kind of adopt it. Whereas I've worked also with leaders that are very fixed mindsets, like you, 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 you can't teach me anything. I know everything. And of course, in today's world, if they're not, if we're not learning, then we're probably not going to remain remain relevant. You know, we are not going to be employable. And so it's that kind of personality who are doing things like you're doing today, you know, uh, you know, hosting podcasts, your listeners who are actually listening to the podcast, reading books, um, you know, getting involved, not just in your own area of expertise, but understanding bigger issues. So it's like my example of being a HR person and not having a clue about finance or marketing and actually realizing that you can be kind of a generalist. You can learn about other things and do things differently. So it could be attending networking events. It could be finding a mentor, um, someone that you really admire that you think could teach you something or budding up with someone whose opinion you really value. That kind of humility, I think it is, of saying, I don't know it all and I'm always open to learning new things. So for me, when I think about, I mean, I could think I could run off a, a list of like 20 leaders that I love. And it's that it's those two things that I think that they have in common. Self-awareness, curiosity. Yeah. And I didn't prompt you to say how amazing mentoring is, but obviously as as a mentoring advocate, mentoring is. is, It is. I love mentoring. I love mentoring. It's much better than traditional training courses as well. And that one-on-one support. So that's 
Um, that's been a great thank you so much it's been really insightful um so I think no matter where we are on our career path we've all got something we can take from that about how we can think about leadership a bit differently um it's been a real pleasure chatting through today thank you so much oh no problem Vicky it's been lovely to talk to you and to our listeners thank you for joining us today on this one for all to ensure you don't miss any future episodes don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow one on social media have a great day